Hello, welcome to the fifth episode of the American Years Revisited podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, coordinator of the American Years Project. In this episode, Jerry Persley shares a first-hand account of active service on the Proteus at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. With no warning, the Proteus left the Holy Lock and headed for the North Atlantic. The ship wasn't quite sea-ready as they left in such a hurry, and this led to all sorts of situations that you'll hear Derry describe in rich detail. You may hear the odd ringing noise in the background of this episode, for which we apologise, but it absolutely doesn't take anything away from the story. We start with Jerry's wife, Linda, telling us about how she heard that the ship was leaving. It was just such a shock because I'd just been speaking to Jerry on the phone as, as we did uh, when he was on the ship and I was, uh, I was ashore, of course, in my house. And uh, everything was fine. And then uh, the next thing I knew, there was a taxi driver banging on the door and saying, is Jerry here? Because they knew the houses where the, uh, the Scottish girls were dating Americans. And I said, no, I said, Jerry's on the ship tonight. And he said, why? And he said, the ship's leaving. I said, no, no, the ship's not leaving. I've just spoken to Jerry. And he said, no, he said, the ship is actually leaving. And I, I ran, well, our house was down in Kilbride Avenue, I had a great view. And uh, within about 15 minutes, I see this big gray ship just moving very slowly just down the Clyde. And I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. I tried to phone him back and because what they were doing, they were running along the deck with axes and they were just chopping every single communication line that, from the ship. Uh, so that uh, nobody could communicate with the ship uh, at that point from the shore, from the shore here. And it was it was a terrible shock. And, of course, I'm in tears. I'll never see him again. And I'm, I'm, my poor mother <laughs> having to cope with this. And, and it was, how many days was it? Eight? Seven, I, eight, I, eight, eight. I know it was over a week. Anyway. It was over a week. And, um, and I worked in Glasgow, and every night I'd be coming back home on the, on the ferry and the first thing I do is look to the holy law. Oh, there's no ship there yet. There's no mm. ship there yet. You know, so it was about eight days. It was a very yeah, it's very hard to long remember time. now. Yeah, but I, oh, uh, I remember. It, it seemed like it was a lot longer than probably. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> and then, of course, you, you had got terrible weather, and you had to pull into Tobermory Bay because the weather was so bad. The ship was just bucking like a bronco and heaving and crashing down. So they were actually sheltering in Tobermory Bay, but nobody knew where they were. Um, obviously, the American Navy knew where they were, but nobody else knew where they not were. Not even sure about that. Uh, no, not even maybe sure about that. But <laughs> anyway, the day the ship sailed back into the Holy Loch, it was, hallelujah, he's back, he's back. Because I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. I thought that might be it. You know. So it and, was very traumatic. At the and time. Jerry, how, how much were you told? by your officers about what was... Well, every day we got like a plan of the day while we were at sea. And I wish that I wish that I had some of those today. They gave a bit of briefing what was going on in, in Washington, D.C. about the Cuba situation and on a daily thing. And we were, we were notified, you know, in that format. They're only going to tell you what, what you need to know. Uh, mm -hmm. But nothing was, you know, it was strictly, strictly through chief. Did you talk to your colleagues about when you what you find was happening? The thing of it was when, when we were out at sea, we went out, we went out, there must have been a force, force eight, ten out. And you got to realize this was a ship that was not prepared to go to sea. 
those days we had the big gantry cranes out the side and it, and it caused you know it would cause a lot of rolling in the in the ship they actually were afraid the ship would turn over because of the gantry cranes uh for the few times that i would I'd be brave enough when i was up in in my accommodation quarters up there to go and have a little we're supposed to go out on deck but to even open the door enough where you could look out the waves were right up over the main deck on the ship you know you you peek out the door and all you could see in front of you or to the side of the ship you either saw sky or you saw saw water and the water would wash right up alongside the door on the deck on the main deck that's a pretty big ship take a look at it oh wow and we were out there and it was it was very rough did you know anything about how tense things were of course i mean we were out there we we figured that it hadn't happened yet because we've probably been one of the first targets because we you know we our ship we were we were to service the submarines and they were located in this northern quarter so i mean the thing of it was i you know we were we were a bit like we were written off already you know when we were out there i know that we were out there for for about two or three days and then it, then we, and we're taking taking poundings we had the metal shop used to be up above my our accommodation quarters and all the stock in other words all the metal stock and everything in the metal shop pipe shop all broke loose and it was just you would hear it hit the deck you'd hear it go from one side of the room to the other it would just be bang 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 we had uh, in the engine because i was in the forward engine room it was so rough that there was only about three or four out of the whole engine room gang of which we should have had about a total of 20 or so in that engine room you didn't see half of them for 10 days you didn't see them you couldn't find them they weren't in their bunks they were either in a fan room somewhere uh sleeping or sick i stood watches i stand eight eight hour watches and four off mm -hmm. just sounds like a nightmare to me and it was it was just a survival exercise yeah quite honestly and worry the anxiety about what was happening between america and russia as well we didn't, we didn't have a clue where we where we're going and really we weren't going anywhere <laughs> you know we just got out of the uk water and then when we did get up there after a, a couple of days of, of really bad weather and everything we were in a trough we weren't headed into the waves and, and the the captain came on because everybody was worried about this ship this ship had been cut in half mm -hmm. and this ship had had a section put in the middle of it rumors came that the captain don't want to head they don't want to head into the waves They're afraid it would would break would break, break an out so anyway, the captain came on the, uh, let us know about seven o'clock at night, that at midnight, he was going to turn the ship into the waves in order to stabilize the ship. Because we were out there just doing, doing rolls back and forth, back and forth. We in the engine room up on our upper deck, which was above our engines that ran around the engine room. We had a big uh, machine up there that we, uh, used for injector you know diesel injector repair bench up there it was so rough that this actually fell it was dislodged bigger than a wardrobe a big machine it actually came loose 
and and fell over on top of one of the engines. Oh. And, and rather, we couldn't move it. So what we did was we just tied it down where it fell. And we we had one engine apart. It had it was a 16, 16 cylinder engine. We had half of the cylinder heads off of it, which were about as big as uh, half a bathtub as far as size was concerned. And these cylinder heads were lying on the deck plates and they were sliding all over the place. If, if the ship would, would buck up if it if it wasn't if it wasn't tied properly, this, this cylinder head would come sliding down the deck plates towards you. And you just it didn't to, like it didn't sound like a state no, of the art ship. It sounds like a ship is just getting ready to sink. Quite honestly, what people what people have to realize is these the tender the mothership was like a huge floating factory. Yes, it was. For me, I was when I was on the ship in charge of the periscope shop. We were out in the north somewhere. We really bad storm. It was it was shearing off big machines and machine shop big lathes and stuff. It was breaking three quarter inch bolts and these things, and the mess decks was all over. So, for them to get underway like that quick, you don't have time to secure for sea because it took quite a lot to to get everything secured to sea. Because we were out, like say the we pulled into somewhere in Ireland because it was so bad. And I remember we were back on the fantail, me and this guy Joe Burton standing there. And it was like the Poseidon adventure, this wave coming, you couldn't see the sky. You, you, you were thinking, thinking, sinking is what you're thinking. <laughs> you know, it was well, quite when frightening. We, when we did, when we when that night, when the captain told us we going to turn into the waves and and uh, into the water, we what we did was we were on watch. There's about three, four of us down in the engine room, standing watch, and we turned into the waves. And then we started the old victory at sea thing, where they used ships go way up. When the, when the ship comes down, it would go, blah, 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 you know, into the water. And this is a big ship. This five, almost 500 foot ship is beating the bottom of the ship. And then what happened, of course, when the ship went down, the propellers would come out of the water, so the engines would overspeed and trip out. The governors would trip the engines out, and when you hear the engines start to go down, you had to run over and restart the engine real quick. You got to realize we had we had four main engines, but we we had one apart, so we had three engines running down there plus our two generators for ship's power. It was a nightmare scenario. Yeah. It just really was. And like I'm saying, because you're so busy and everything, you don't really think about a whole lot else. But you're not really thinking about the, the crisis. No, you're thinking you're, about no. the immediate crisis. You're thinking about survival. You're thinking about doing what needs to be done. To, yeah. You're know, yeah. is what you can. How many of you were in this situation? Well, I guess the whole crew was there, except some that we actually left behind. We did leave, I think, about 25 or something that didn't because make it they back did, to the they ship. didn't know the ship was going to be leaving that night. It was just a very sudden They couldn't thing. get back before no. we left. One because... minute the ship was there, and the next minute the ship was gone. What would the whole crew have been? It's hard to say. I really don't know. I, I always figured there was around 1,200 on there. That's amazing. It was. It was uh, It was a real experience. Mm. I don't, you know, there's other people that had that same experience mm. still around. Mm -hmm. I imagine, but uh, They took refuge in Tobermory Bay. Well, we went into Tobermory Bay once we once it calmed down a bit, but I mean it was still very rough, and we managed to get into Tobermory Bay. First off, we couldn't get a hold with our anchor. We really went in there for some provisions. 
I don't think we got a foul. I think we just got in there and finally just had to go back out again. And uh, I think we left both of our bow anchors there. But whether we got them back or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> like I'm saying, the ship was not ready to go to sea. Even though they were probably talking about it, it probably kind of went over your head a bit. But the whole day before we went out, even the day before, we were told to, re to start the engines to keep the oil warm in case we had to leave. We did that for a bit, and then they, then they put that on hold. Uh, and then the next day, we had to start again, and we'd have to run our engines. Did you question the idea of the ship leaving at that time? Or was that well, explained to you? We questioned did, an order. No, we never. <laughs> how do I say it? It's one of these things you didn't think would happen. Mm -hmm. you, but you'd be but ready for it. The idea of the ship leaving in the crisis. It was as big a surprise to me that it went out as it was to Linda. Mm -hmm. And although I, she would call and I said, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're having to run our engines to keep the oil warm. Do you think you're going out? You know, I think you asked me that. I did. You think you're going out? I, said, no, I, no, I don't no, think no. so. But, um, you know, we're, we're just being prepared. But then, then when it, when it came, it was, the decision was made and we were gone. And how did you, how did you know from you thinking, I don't think we're going, what was the process from that to you actually going? How did you get back to the ship? How did you know to go? Well, I was on the ship already. I had duty that day. And I'm sure that because we left quite a few people, people there. Us, yeah. And I think the other thing of it was, if I'm not mistaken, they weren't allowing people at that point for a couple of days to go to Greenwich. It was you can go off the ship, but you got to stay close. We can get back. I know that when I finally got off the ship on the day we got back, I met some guys coming back on the ship at that time. We just got back. But uh, no, the decision we were, you know, we're, we're going to warm up to keep the engines warm. We're going to go in case we have to go out and, and this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden it's, let's go. We're on our way. We're leaving. Mm -hmm. When we left that night, I think about a quarter past nine or something. Yeah, because I'd just spoken to you on the phone and everything you and, did was fine. And what happened and, was uh, when, when we left that night, we actually had a submarine tied up to each side of the ship. Yeah, yeah. We went out past the dry dock with two babies with us, <laughs> two <laughs> submarines with us. I went up to have a look because I was in the engine room at that time. And, and I couldn't believe that we were leaving and, and everything. So I, I went up went up topside just for a quick peek. And I went up there and I, and I remember going up on the deck and I could see them see on the submarines and everything. And I had the working parties on the deck just throwing like cases of, of canned goods and, and stuff onto the submarine decks. And I was on the deck catching provisions and stuff, throwing them down the hatches. Mm -hmm. And they did that as we went out past uh, Danoon Pier. And and that was us gone. Then. Yeah, well, I After could that. see on the shore was the lights just gradually disappearing into the into the gloom. <laughs> but, and, uh, but like I say, we were out there for several, you know, for quite a few days there. And uh, like I say, not knowing because we were we were just some sort of limbo at that time. We were just we were just fighting the elements and we would get our our plan of the day in the morning with a little bit of a blurb in it and everything. I always thought that somebody somewhere has got some of these, which would have been nice to have kept. 
you know, and when we came back in, like I can't remember what date it was. I remember we, the, by then the, the seas had calmed a lot. And you could tell when you got into the Firth of Clyde, and, you know, the engine slowed down and we were coming up the Clyde quite quietly or, or in, in the engine room we were and everything. And I was standing throttle watch then. And by then I've already had a few more guys show up. The ones that probably, <laughs> they, by the time the seas got a little bit calmer, some of the guys that had been hiding all the time, they're now showing up. So <laughs> I was standing throttle watch in the engine room on one of the main engines. I'm standing there watching the gauges and everything. And all of a sudden I get a line of, of oily water down my, down my face. And everything, what had happened was when the oil kings had pumped the uh, ballast out coming up the Clyde, they pumped <clears> into the bilges, flooded our flooded our uh, our engine generators and everything. So we had to shut down before we even got to Danone. And we had to go in there with, with tugs and uh, after engine room. And we lost all our power at that point. And then when we got back the next day, we found out we had we had a lot of water damage, and we spent spent the next three months mm -hmm. on port and starboard duty, twelve hours on, twelve hours off, taking our coils out of our generators so they could take them into the galley and put them in the oven to bake them and get the water out of them. They had to be washed down with fresh water and everything because the bilges were all full of salt water and all the generators keep them rusting and everything. So we had a, we had a busy time there. So we also, you know, kind of like really? off of the foot when you're already injured, you know? That's an amazing um, memoir of that uh, experience. Fabulous. Terry. I remember it quite vividly, you know, what parts that I played part in. Like when you go to asking about what, what, was, what was happening up on the upper decks, I have no idea. I was not really cut out for going to sea after that. Yeah. <laughs> that was Jerry Persley's account of the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis while serving on the Proteus. Thank you, Jerry, for bringing that moment to life in such detail. You have been listening to the American Years Revisited podcast. For more information and for further episodes, please visit our website on americanyearsrevisited.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.